0: If you don't know the value you provide, why would anybody else? Imagine that you are a manager in a company. It's annual review time when salaries and bonuses would be determined. Do you know what your value proposition is? Or that you are a team that needs five new FTEs and you're going to senior leaders. Do you know what your value proposition is? Or you're an organization whereby you want to be able to attract new customers. Do you know what your value proposition is? Or you're a nonprofit organization and you want to be able to bring in new donors. Do you know what your value proposition is? Well, my next guest on the business of intuition is an expert in helping organizations, especially nonprofits, determine what their value proposition is and then build digital marketing campaigns around it. Tim Kachiriak is the co founder and leader of an organization called Next After, which is a fundraising research lab and consulting firm that works with businesses, nonprofits, and NGOs to help them grow their resource capacity. A nonprofit thought leader, Kachiriak is the author of the book. Optimize your fundraising, lead research, and co author of the online fundraising scorecard, Why Should I Give to You?, which is the Nonprofit Value Proposition Index Study and the Mid Level Donor Crisis. Kachiriak has trained organizations in fundraising optimization around the world and is a frequent speaker at the international nonprofit conferences. Kachiriak actually has so many great ideas not only for those who want to understand how to create that value proposition and act upon it, but his message in our interview was very apropos for anybody at any level of an organization to be able to really tap into and understand and communicate compelling ways of what their value proposition is. Tim Kateriak on the Business of Intuition. All right. So, Tim, thanks for being a guest on the show. Really looking forward to this conversation. I wanted to first and foremost ask you kind of an open ended question here. I know that you do a lot of work with nonprofits and help them with their digital marketing. My question is really sort of an agnostic one, which is not just about the nonprofit space, but the profit spaces. Like, how do you help? any organization really kind of define what their value proposition is Mm -hmm. before you even communicate what it is in the way in which you need to, whether it be advertising or Facebook or whatever the particular venue is, how do you help them get clarity about what that value proposition even is? Because I think that some people go, I know we create value, but I don't even know what language, I don't even know how to describe it. How do you help people do that?
1: Well, yeah. And Dean, thanks for having me on the show. This is great. You're asking like probably the most important question that I wish more of my clients would ask, which is like, how do I define my value proposition? And we first have to kind of like say, well, what is a value proposition? Because when I ask a nonprofit, you know, C suite leader, like, what is your value proposition? They go on about their mission, their values, like the things that they do. But that's not what a, mission, or what a value proposition is. The value proposition is the answer to a fundamental question that every single potential donor has to hear the answer to, but they never or very rarely ask it. And the question is this, if I am your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? So to put it in for-profit context, if I am your ideal customer... Why should I buy from you rather than one of your competitors? That is the essential value proposition question that we have to answer. And so what we do is we kind of take the organization through a series of exercises to try to discover that because an effective value proposition is not something that that can be declared. It's not like a flag that you plant in the ground. It's something that you discover because it lives inside the hearts and the minds of the people that either buy from you or in our case, give to the organization. And so the value proposition really has to have four i four components of an effective value proposition. The first one is appeal. It's got to be something that people like that they want. Right in the context of a of a charitable organization that's doing social impact, what is the social impact delivered through the organization, and is it something that I care about? Right. So appeal sure. is the first dimension of an effective value proposition. So
0: the before second you get to number two. Hold on a second. Yeah. So before you go, this is great. So. The appeal that I have, the thing that I care about, let's say I care about I'm a nonprofit or I'm a donor, you know, and I want to yeah. support education in a certain demographic, right? That's what appeals to me. Am I to understand then, before you even go on to number two, that value propositions have to adjust based on your audience? Absolutely.
1: It has to be framed from customer-centric logic, not organizational-centric log- logic, and that is the biggest mistake that I see most nonprofit organizations make and most Mm -hmm. businesses make for that matter. They're trying to kind of like, you know, feed this value proposition through the lens of how they see the world, but it doesn't connect with their customer that sees the world very differently. Right. Right.
0: Very, very good. Um, So yes, it has to be
1: appealing. Okay. Okay. So number two, it has to be exclusive, right? Meaning it has to be like the social impact I deliver through my organization has to be different or delivered differently in some unique way. I have to have a unique differentiator that is, you know, makes my organization stand out across a number of different competing options, right? And what's interesting about these two d- initial dimensions, appeal and exclusivity, is I could have something that's very appealing. Like, I want to solve homelessness, right? Now, that's very appealing. I think there's a lot of people that would probably say that would be an awesome thing if we could do that. But if there's a hundred different organizations that do that same exact thing, the number of competing options dilutes the potency of the appeal of the value proposition. So you can see it's almost acts like the denominator. Like, how many competing options do I have? And that kind of undermines the appeal of the specific offer.
0: So that's a good point. So then not every there's the hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits trying to attack the same issue. That's correct. So then how do you then help? Knowing that number two, the exclusivity may not be very hot because a lot of people are doing it. The market even might be flooded. Does that mean that you have to put greater emphasis on number one, meaning the appeal, or are there number three and four, which we haven't heard yet, become more important? How do you address the issue of saturation?
1: Well, you have to figure out what is it that your organization does differently than some of these other organizations. So Let me give you one example okay. of how you can apply exclusivity. So, you know, we solve the problem of homelessness, but not homelessness across the entire world, not across the entire country, but in this you know, the city of Seattle. Like, so we are the only okay. organization that is exclusively focused on solving the problem of homelessness in Seattle, Washington, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see how you can kind of even just use geography as one way to create exclusivity or like we're the only organization that is attacking homelessness by dot, 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 right? Whatever it is. Like I have a specific unique way that I'm trying to solve this problem that differentiates my service offering compared to some of my competitors.
0: Okay. So good. Um, So let me ask another question here. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm liking this a lot. Do, what if it turns out that I'm having a hard time finding out that particular exclusive thing like meaning that I let's just take coaching, right? You know, I've yeah. been involved with this industry for a long time. We we are saturated right now with coaching. Mm-hmm. Do you have to just keep digging and digging and digging to find out your secret sauce, what makes your offering different from all the other ones? Or at least you hope so because who mm-hmm. could be able to do a an environmental scan and find out how many thousands of coaches are out there to know exactly what they do to be able to come up with that correct way of saying it. So is it more about spin? Meaning I'm saying that we're the best in this, or is it more about reality that we really are? How do we solve for that? Well, I mean,
1: it it sometimes involves trade-offs, right? So like if you're an executive coach, for example, and you say that I only work with people that work in the healthcare industry, right? Like I am exclusively focused on providing coaching services to C-level executives that work in the healthcare space. And then right. maybe, maybe even tie like a geography around that it, it, in the city of Seattle, for example, right? right. So like, right. there's ways you have to find, if you don't find something that makes what you offer different than what everybody else is offering, then it's going to kind of, you know, not be quite as a forceful value proposition as somebody that does have a unique differentiator.
0: Okay. I understood. And again, again, you could take that analogy of being working only with you know, executives in Seattle in healthcare, but I'm sure you could say, well, there's a lot of coaches out there that do that, right? And you would have to probably continue to d- drill down to something that makes it even more unique, right? Is what I'm guessing what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, good. So, what's number okay. three? So,
1: so, appeal exclusivity. And then yeah. the last two pieces, credibility and clarity. So, credibility is like, do I believe it? Do I trust it? Are you the right organization? Are you the right company to solve this problem? And then the last one is clarity. Do I understand the claim of value that you're making? Is it clear? Does it make sense? Is it framed from my point of view, not from your organizational-centric point of view? So honestly, the hardest thing that we find for any organization, for-profit, nonprofit, is to really figure out how to solve for clarity, right? And this is because of the curse of knowledge, right? We live inside of our organizations. We live and breathe this stuff every single day. And that means that we look at it differently from that of our uninitiated potential customer or donor. And so that's where, you know, you need the help of honestly like, you know, consultants, agencies, mm-hmm. people like us <laughs> to come and help. You're too close to it. Exactly, right. You're too close to it. You're too close to it.
0: But same, so, all right. So, before we get back to the cla- the, the credibility piece, the clarity mm-hmm. thing you said is the hardest piece, but I guess I don't have enough clarity, I'm sorry, on the clarity piece yet. Because I get the fact that it needs to be framed from the customer or in this case, your world donor point of view. Mm-hmm. Understand that, but what is it that makes it clear for them?
1: What makes it clear is when they respond to it in a way that aligns with you know what it whatever it is your conversion goal is, whether that's to get people to buy, to donate, to volunteer. And the only way that you can truly like solve for that is through testing and experimentation. So like that ultimately is where we go as we kind of go through this process of discovery with a value proposition, we have to take it to the market and mm. begin to experiment and test with
0: it. So so yeah that's a little bit more downstream of where I was thinking. I thought mm-hmm. more upstream in terms of like before we even push the button and we're sending off all these things to different social media, or what have you have we satisfied the value proposition equation by having number 4 clarity done because we've taken into account the perspective and the needs and desires of the person who's going to be donating in this case in your mm-hmm. world what you're saying is we don't know whether we have clarity until we test it
1: right i mean you can you can go workshop it you can go do like research and ask you know people to to complete surveys and interviews but you don't know until you actually take it to the market and test it in a real live you know, in, environment and okay. see how people respond. Okay. Yeah.
0: So it's really more the clarity. Of, I was thinking it more of as being an internal process. You're saying it's the way to test one, two, and three as a way of whether it lands or not. Okay. So exactly. say more about the credibility piece. I mean, does it mean like, okay, our CVs this is what we've mm-hmm. done. This is how long we've been around, all of those normal things that you would expect, or is it more than that?
1: Yeah, I mean the credibility comes down to what are the facts, the figures, the data that proves that these various different claims of value are in fact true, right? So this could come in the form of, you know, data points, it could come in the form of case studies, it could come in the form of third-party endorsements, third-party mm third-party credibility indicators. You can trust that this website is safe because it's got this golden seal of approval on it. Or you can trust that our mon- your money is going to go where we say it's going to go because of this little pie chart that shows you that you know 95 cents out of every dollar is going to go directly to support the fieldwork. So it's things like that, that bolster the credibility of the cl- value claim and make people
0: trust it. Okay, so then it sounds like if we go back to number one, this appeal piece, and Mm you said very clearly, that has to be in the language of and the desire of the person who's going to in your world donate or in a more agnostic world, the customer, the end user, right? But we also said that it has to, you may have more than one value proposition, because you have more than one customer type, you have more than one. Donor type. So yep, that's right. The practicality are... of that, like on a website, say for example, because it's a digital marketing that you're involved in. How do you adjust for a message on that website that needs to be able to appeal to varies varying the numbers of potential donors, knowing that each donor may have a different thing that they find appealing? Correct. Yeah. So this is, this is where you begin
1: to kind of segment and you're starting to allude to it. So like in the center yeah. is your primary value proposition. Then you have your prospect level value proposition. And then you have your product level value proposition. So in my world of nonprofit fundraising, like a product would be a specific campaign, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have a campaign that's focused. Maybe my organization does many different things. This campaign is about water, right? And so I'm going to have a very specific experience that's all focused around moving people that are inspired by this water thing. Again, yeah. I don't know who all those people are, but this is like where you know we set up these different conversion pathways based off of the sources and where people come from, right? So like people that are coming from a direct response television ad that I'm running that has a specific URL that sends people to this webpage and it's all about this water crisis thing. Those are people that probably are uh, motivated and they find the appeal of providing clean water to be attractive.
0: So Tim on a personal note I can see yeah. from your own value proposition number 2 the exclusive piece that you just described that you can claim probably rightfully so the exclusive around this digital marketing process for nonprofits because I don't suspect that there's a lot of organizations that are out there that do what you do so you know good for you but why choose that what's 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 your personal story around wanting to support nonprofits which I don't want to make the assumption of course it just it's a good thing to do <laughs> One could say, you know what? It'll be a lot easier to work with for profits. We know they have more money. They have more understanding around this. Why choose nonprofits?
1: That's a great question, it, and it's it's a it's an answer that honestly I find most people that work in the nonprofit space uh, share. Which is, you know, I kind of took a very indirect indirect pathway here. So. My Story is, I graduated from college right after 9 11. Horrible mm. time to enter into the job force. I knew I desperately wanted to work in the field of advertising and marketing. That's all I cared about as a kid. I'd like watch TV so I could watch the commercials. Um, <laughs> but, you know, right after 9 11 was a tough time. But, you know, I worked at a country club all during high school and college. So I had like, you know, 432 aunts and uncles that were captains of industry. Mm. And the guy who was the president of the country club, this guy named Joe Blattner, he was also the president of the second largest ad agency, Blattner Bruner. I went and met with him. I did my my little dog and pony show he's like oh man I'd love to hire you kid but you know we just laid off 30 people yesterday 9 11 hit our industry hard our agency harder can't help you yeah so it was like six months of kind of like wandering in the wilderness trying to find somebody to give me a shot I met a serial entrepreneur he had a bunch of little small businesses he operated he said maybe you could do some projects for those you know little companies and I said that sounds great and then he said you know he looked at me and he said why don't you start a business and I was like well I don't know how to mm. do that. And he's like, Well, I do. We got an incubator on the second floor of our office building. I'll give you a desk. I'll introduce you to people. I'll be your partner, and the rest is up to you, kid. So I was like, That sounds great. I mean, I'm like living in my parents' basement. I have no overhead. I mean, you want talk about like the ideal time to start a business, like that's yeah. it. I mean, totally, the problem totally. is the problem is you have no knowledge, you know. So, like, it's this like, right. you know, you know, pimple face right out of college kid, you know, trying yeah. to go and like convince people to go, you know, give me money to go do things for them, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. a a little bit of a tough sell, but you know, I, I did that for about five years. I started this little company called Ambience Interactive. It was a digital marketing company. You know, learned a lot about business, how to get customers, how to keep them happy, how to make payroll when you don't have money on Monday, and payrolls on Friday. I mean, just all kinds of things that come mm. into running a business. And somewhere along the way, like I just, you know, I kind of got a little bit bored with that. And you know, mm. we were at the time working with like general market ad agencies. We were like their outsourced little digital boutique, mm. um, and. That just meant that we were kind of like locked into whatever clients they had. So we had a lot of like law firms, we had a lot of automotive dealerships, and nothing wrong with lawyers and car dealers, but it just didn't spin my wheels. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to participate in a capital campaign. So my church was building a building and they had to raise like $3.2 million. And so they hired these capital campaign consultants to come in and put together, you know, this whole strategy around, you know, getting the congregation excited about giving to this thing. And I said, look, you need marketing help. I can do all the marketing stuff for this thing. And so it was like the first time that I did something that I knew I was like wired to do marketing, but for a cost. I was like, this is awesome. Like, I want to do that some more. And so I kind of decided, you know, I think I need to try something out. So I, my friend, he uh, just took a job as executive vice president for a large nonprofit organization in South Florida. Called him up. He's like, you should come check this thing out. And so I leave Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I lived, there was like six inches of snow on the ground. I get to Fort Lauderdale, Florida and like the, uh, you know, the interview is at the Aruba beach cafe, like right on the sand, like a one, a Avenue, the doors are open. The sea is, you know, crashing onto the sand and like the sea breeze is blowing through my hair. And the guy's like a bling, 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 bling. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, this is okay. I could do this. So in a matter of like 45 days, my wife, wife and I, we sold our house, we sold our business. And moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Fort Lauderdale to go work for this nonprofit. The mm. day I got there, the head of the organization who had been there for 35 years had a heart attack. Oh, I no, should, I should point out, Dean, that like correlation is not causation. At least I hope I hope not. <laughs> I hope it wasn't <laughs> me that caused this. But we went from like a $36 million a year organization to 18 in less than 12 months. Wow. And it was crazy. And so anyway. But during that, that experience, I discovered that there's basically marketing agencies that work exclusively with large nonprofits. We happened to work with one based in Dallas called KMA Direct Communications. Their CEO kind of liked me and he said, hey, well, I don't know what your future looks like here. Would you like to come to Dallas? He's like, we've been doing direct mail for 30 years. You know, We want to break into this digital space. We want you to go head up this new division. I said, that sounds great. And so uh, I got to Dallas in 2008. I was there for about two and a half years, uh, learned a lot about fundraising, uh, had some great experiences with some awesome, you know, very high profile nonprofits. We got acquired by another agency. I was there another 18 months and then I left to start next
0: after. So very indirect path. I know that was like- Yeah, no, I totally, (laughs) I understand the indirect path. My life has been nothing but. So I could, if I go back to your model, you know, the four part model, I could see that this even being a back of your mind reminder- as a, anybody, whether it's for-profit or nonprofit, a leader in an organization, thinking about what does my audience specifically want? you know, right. Can I serve that? What makes what I am going to provide them as, as a solution that's unique and different, and it's going to solve that particular problem? And then three, what's the credibility that I have to be able to preside, provide that particular problem, uh, a solution? And just... I think that three-piece process is sort of like a great thing to remind ourselves, whether we're doing digital marketing for a profit or non-profit, like just any general communication that's going on or public speaking, you know, like those three things, whatever you want, what makes what I'm going to give you different, do I have the ability to provide that? And then, of course, the clarity, your model would say, well, you know whether or not, whether you get the response you need, and you have to continue to adjust your your message based on the results that you're seeing. That's great stuff. Yeah. I mean, Jim, just I, to give you an example, like yeah.
1: I'll, I'll kind of like explain, you know, Next After's value proposition. So Next After is the only organization in the nonprofit space that combines the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab with the practical application of a digital first agency and the rigorous instruction of a training institute. We've performed over 4,000 mm. online fundraising experiments that we've documented across a whole range of organizations. We've given over $1.2 million to over 2,000 organization in $20 increments to study what it feels like to be a donor. So you can see like all these credibility indicators I'm oh, getting yeah. that are saying like, yeah. this is why you can trust me, I'm a doctor, right? So right, like right, that's right. the kind <laughs> of stuff like that. <laughs> that's where people are like, okay, cool. I mean, like, you know, I can trust you now. So whatever I say after that, they can actually
0: believe. Very good. Very good. And, and, you know, elevator speeches, mission statements, all this sort of stuff could also tie into this very well. This is great. Well, Tim, this is fascinating. I really, um, I've got some notes here. There's there's some things that I'm going to be thinking about here. How can people sort of follow what you're about or, or connect with you? Yeah. I
1: mean, if you can spell Kachuriak, good luck. You can find (laughs) me on LinkedIn, but probably a little bit easier for them right
0: now. So that, because (laughs) most people are listening to this. Yeah.
1: It's, (laughs) K-A-C-H-U-R-I-A-K. So if you can spell Kachuriak and just Google that, you'll find me everywhere. I think I'm the only Kachuriak in the world, at least. Probably. <laughs> yeah, That's actually not true. We we do have some distant relatives in the Ukraine. So I, I'm not the only Kachuriak. But the probably easiest place to find me is just go to our website, nextafter.com. All of our research has been published there. It's all free. It's all downloadable. We've got, again, like tons of experiments, tons of resources. And a lot of them honestly, like a lot of the things that we apply to our nonprofit organizations are things that we've learned in the for-profit space. This is like one of the biggest things I think has been missing is like, you know, just bringing that rigor and that business acumen to the problem of trying to help nonprofit organizations scale.
0: So mm. a lot of
1: this stuff has relevance, whether you're a for-profit or a nonprofit leader.
0: Absolutely. I yeah. see this happening in many levels. This is great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time. A lot of good stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.